Okay, so here we go. Another Even Amber podcast. We got a great one today. <laughs> we really do. We've got Scott Strom. Is it Stromarillo or Stromarillo? Say that one more time. Stromello. 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 Okay. okay, so we've got Scott here. And this is like, we're going to talk about the crazy world of drug pricing. And, you know, all of us out here, you know, we're all on different plans. Uh, some of us are insured. Some of us are not insured. Some of us are on high deductible plans. Some of us are low deductible plans. But, hey, this is a pocketbook issue. So if you can understand how this works, and that's why Scott is here, he's going to give us a a little insight. And so before we even go there, because we do this on every podcast, tell the listeners, Scott, a little bit about, you know, your diabetes journey, and then we'll get into the, you know, the real nuts and bolts of this. Okay. Well, the short story is my name is Scott Stramello, and I have lived with autoimmune type one diabetes for 46 years. I was diagnosed in 1976. So I'm approaching my Half century mark with this. Are you going to get a um, medal? <laughs> you know, I, I I go back and forth. Sometimes I say yeah. Sometimes I say screw them. I don't want their medal. So <laughs> I don't know. I'll decide. I'll decide as I get closer to that fifty year mark. I guess. <laughs> okay. So just for the benefit of our listeners, give us an idea because this it will apply to what you your expertise is. But when you first were starting to get insulin. You remember what you paid for it? How old were you, first of all? Like when you. Yeah, I was diagnosed at age seven. Okay, so you didn't pay for it. Right. So, mom and dad. But you know, I do remember probably not when I was a, a young kid, but when I was like in high school and stuff, I had gotten my own driver's license. My parents are like, you go pick it up. I'm not dealing with this anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, they'd give me the money for it. And that kind of explains my sort of evolution with all of this, because when I was first diagnosed back in 1976, nobody I knew, and I do mean almost nobody had a pharmacy benefit as part of their insurance plan. It was all catastrophic indemnity plans, which is, this is what covers you when you go to the emergency room or you have to be checked into the hospital for major surgery, but there was no pharmacy benefit. It didn't exist. And so everyone pretty much paid out of pocket in those days. And then over time, more and more plans started adding a pharmacy benefit. And that was, for a while, was a nice perk because at the time you paid sort of a fixed copay and you, the actual price of the product was hidden from those people because they didn't really know what the price was. They just knew I have a copay of 25 bucks or whatever. And that was the extent of it. And then over time, the advent of high deductible insurance plans and all those things emerged. Most of them then had a pharmacy benefit, but that's when sort of the underlying mechanisms became known to a wider audience because they were exposed to, you know, artificially inflated prescription drug prices. And they are artificially inflated. That The cash price that the pharmacy asks you to pay, almost nobody pays that except the patient that walks in and says, well, how much is my price? And they tell you it's $225 for this file of insulin. That's not the real price. That's just the, the cash retail price. So, 
Well, and, and, you know, maybe we could talk about that just for a minute, because, it, you know, what you bring up is not only applicable to insulin, but almost any drug, really, in that there is, I think, let's approach this from two ways. Number one, uh, Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk and Sanofi, the three major insulin companies, don't really determine what you and I would pay out of pocket, okay? Not directly, okay? Indirectly, they're part of the process. Yeah. They don't go to Walgreens or CVS or Walmart and say, you're going to charge $300 for a vial of our insulin. And then I think correspondingly, maybe what we could talk about is these new, there's a lot of devil in the details with these new laws that quote unquote cap the price of insulin. So I don't know which one you want to tackle first. <laughs> so I'll let you have at it. <laughs> so what specifically is your question, I guess? What well, okay, you... let, I, th- I think specifically what I would, what I think what our listeners would like to know is, let's say, okay, let's say they are a quote unquote cash paying plus customer or, or correspondingly, uh, they have a very high deductible because it's really one and the same when you think. Yeah. About it. Let's say, and again, just for sake of argument, let's just say the cost of a vial is 250 bucks. How does that price come about? Okay, this gets into the different components in, involved in, I like to say that complexity is part of what enables many layers of non-critical entities to skim off millions of dollars that they have neither earned and aren't really entitled to while adding to the prices that Americans pay for prescriptions. And there are multiple layers involved, but really it comes down to four. And I'll mention each one, and then we can kind of talk a little bit more about what each one does. Number one, pharmacy benefits managers. They are a big one. And they influence the price not only of what you and your insurance coverage pays for the drug, but their contracts with pharmacy chains also dictates what the cash retail prices are because they won't pay for any drug at an amount less than the cash retail price. And so... The PBM contracts with the drugstore, your local neighborhood family drugstore, the PBM contracts are specifying kind of what they have to charge. Pharmacies are more of dispensaries rather than true retailers that set the prices they charge for prescriptions. So the second entity that has something to do with this is insurance companies. The insurance companies do a couple things, and we can talk a little bit more about them, but they have like a list of four specific things that they're doing that influence what you pay at the drugstore. Trying to think, everyone's favorite to blame is pharma, the drug companies, Lilly and Novo Nordisk and Sanofi, and they're by no means blameless in all of this, but their wrongdoing isn't exactly what people think it is. People think they're setting these sky-high prices and they're making billions. And the reality is the way they market pharmaceuticals, they have to pay to get their drugs listed on a formulary for an insurance company. And we now know with concrete evidence that Novo Nordisk, for example, admits it's paying 74% of the company's gross sales as rebates paid to PBMs. And wait, hold on, Let, let's cover that one a little bit more detail because it's a real important point. And for the layman, they may not understand that. Yeah. So basically what you're saying, out of $100 coming in, $74 is paid back to the pharmacy benefit manager. Correct. How did this pharmacy benefit manager get this title? Like who the hell, why are they there? <laughs> like, I want to make up a job where I'm getting 
I'm going to say all the curse words, $74 out of a freaking hundred bucks to yeah. make. I mean, like what to explain what they are. Layman's terms. Yeah. All right. Before we get there, let me just go to D. There's one other entity part of the equation of adding to the price that people should know about. And then we'll get back to PBM specifically. The last entity is employer healthcare plan sponsors, your employer. They are the ones that are indirectly receiving most of the PBM rebate dollars, and they're also getting hundreds of billions, almost a half a trillion dollars in tax subsidies for employer-sponsored healthcare plans. So your employer is not off the hook here either. Anyway, back to the PBM entity specifically. I like to say that discounts on prescription drugs are effectively monopolized by pharmacy benefits managers. They're an unregulated monopoly, which has evaded any kind of oversight for years, and we all pay the price for it. PBMs evolved from paper pushers back in the early 70s, where you actually did have drug benefits. And remember back in those days, if you went to the pharmacy and you say, here's my insurance card, I want to pay with this. The PBMs took those pieces of paper and made sure the drug squad got paid for those drugs. They filed those things. They made sure that the pharmacy was paid. They took a little cut of the amount that the pharmacy was paid for their services because they were doing some work on behalf of the healthcare plan and the pharmacy. And they were basically facilitating getting them paid. Over time, the PBM's role kind of morphed and they were able to use their position in the middle of the drug distribution system to, for example, they create formularies, which drugs we're going to cover for each therapeutic class. So you might cover one hypertension medicine. You might cover one type two diabetes medicine. You might cover one variety of insulin. You might cover one dry eye disease drug. They develop formularies and say, these are the drugs that we're going to cover on behalf of our healthcare plan sponsors, which are the employers. And so that became their role. Now, there are some things that they do or did do. For example, they used to do things like spread pricing, where they would buy a drug for 50 bucks and then charge the patient 200 bucks for it. That was part of that scheme as well. But the reality is the formulary management was really a key piece of how they managed prescription drug costs. And they could go to big drug manufacturers like, like Lilly and Novo Nordisk and Sanofi and AstraZeneca and all these others. And they'd say, look, we represent the purchasing of 28 million Americans, and we bought X million dollars worth of this drug last year. We think we're entitled to a discount, and we are willing to pay you no more than X. And that's basically how they work now. Yeah, hold on for one second there. Let's just so again, I want to keep this simple because it's not. No, all right. But okay, so just uh, as a way of reviewing, because I think our listeners really need to understand this, the drug company not only pays a rebate, okay, they also discount their price. What the discounts PBMs get is the net price, which is minus discounts, minus any others. Most of the discounts come in the form of rebates. I think it was as of 2020, 
total prescription drug rebate dollars was like $187 billion. And that's for all drugs, not just for insulin. But that's how much money the drug companies were paying in or to PBMs to get their drugs listed on commercial healthcare insurance company f- drug formularies. Okay, and then again, one more time here. Again, I'm, I want to keep this slow because uh, I think it's important. So I think all of our listeners have, you know, the ones who aren't sure they have, they have this list of formulary and the formulary is tiered. There's one, two, and three. So basically- Some are, yeah. Well, most are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you're on a tier one drug, that's your lowest out of pocket. Now you can go to a tier two drug. So just to keep this yeah. on diabetes terms, okay, there's basically two short-acting insulins. There's Novolog and there's Jumalog. There's a Pedra too. Which, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but in reality, there's two. Yeah. And typically what Novo and Lily do is they fight to get their short acting on tier one. And then the other company usually falls to tier two. Now, you know, if you're a Novolog, let's say Novolog is a tier one and Umalog is a tier two, and you don't want to switch and you're on Umalog, you can still get the drug. You just pay more for the drug. I want to make sure that I understand something on that. So, so there's competition between the two big dogs, Eli Lilly and Nova Nordis, to be the tier one. So they are competing against each other to be the tier, that tier. Yeah, they be, basically, if you, and it's actually worse in the long acting segment, yeah. whether it's Traceba, Basaglar, Atlantis, Tujo, Levemir, and what's the name of the new one, Scott? Uh, Traceba, I think, is, is Traceba. Chiba's been out a couple of years. 2JO is the U300 version of Lantus. No, no, but there's one more that just came out from, uh, oh my God, I'm, I'm having a mind cramp. Are you talking a biosimilar or yeah, a biosimilar interchangeable? Yeah, Semgly. Yeah, which they actually had to raise the price of that. Yeah. To get it out of formula. Right. So, when the average, <laughs> let's just say, because I am going to be careful how I wear this. For the insulin for all groups and things like that, that are like super pissed at big pharma, big pharma is on the three components, pretty low on the tier of how we come up with the price. It's the PBM. Would you say is the number one? I'm going to say villain. My words. Would you say that that's correct? If I had to rank them, I would say number one, the PBM, number two, the insurance companies, Number three, pharma, and then number four, employer plan sponsors, which are the fourth entity. Employer plan sponsors, believe it or not, indirectly get most of the PBM rebate dollars because the PBMs pay them. They're under contract to pay that money to the insurance companies that hire or more likely own them outright. So they pass through all of the discounts they get on drugs to the insurance company. Now, the insurance companies don't necessarily keep that money. They are often using it as premium offsets so they can sell more insurance policies. So, oh, what a tangled web we weave, you know, the the whole thing is really, really convoluted. So odds are your employer, which chooses the PBM that usually it's a default, whoever the insurance company gets goes with it, but they can pick their own PBM if they want. And some bigger employers do that. And they also, what else? Employers, they're getting most of the rebate dollars. They also determine how much 
co-pays are, or if they pay for any drugs until a deductible is satisfied in those cases. So, you know, they're not blameless in this thing. Right. So so going back for a second, let, let's talk a little bit. About, let's segue a little bit to the, okay, We a lot of states have implemented these caps, what a vial of insulin can cost out of pocket. The president in the State of the Union wanted a cap, and I believe, I think the price was $35. But the devil's in the details here. Yeah. So can maybe you, in a layman's way, explain what those details are so everybody understands it? Yeah, well, so let's go back a couple of years. I think Illinois was the first state to, or Colorado, one of the two. I think it was Colorado. Colorado. I think you're right. Yeah. And then Illinois did pretty much what Colorado did. Colorado was the first one that said, we're going to cap insulin prices because we have too many patients. They're complaining. They're paying $200, $300 for this stuff. And we're going to cap it. Now, there is a difference between a copay cap and a price cap. And that's one of the details where the devil is in those. Some states cap the price of insulin and they say it can be no more than 35 bucks, let's say. And so the question becomes, where does that money come from? Now, keep in mind that the actual, the retail price that the patient is asked to pay is bogus to begin with. It's, it's made up. It's made up except if you're paying it. But what I think price caps do, price caps, I'm not going to talk about copay caps, which is a little bit different, but yeah, oh there. Yeah. Price caps essentially force all of the entities in the drug distribution system to share the benefit of the discounts that they are getting on prescription drugs with the patient whose purchase of those drugs are actually generating those rebates. So it really is money intended for patient relief that should be going to patients, but is instead being given to other entities like employers. But it, it really is the patient. The patient's the one that's buying the drug that's rebated in the first place. They should be getting the benefit of those. And in many cases, they are not. I have a quick question on that, Scott. So when you say we're capping the cost of insulin mm -hmm. out of pocket at $35, is that so I don't use a ton of insulin, but Dave might need five bottles. Is it right. per bottle or per prescription? It's different depending on what state and what jurisdiction is doing it. Okay. Some say it's a monthly cap. So however much you use each month. Yeah. Some say it's a price cap on, you know, each item, vial or you know, yeah. pen or whatever. So there's a lot of nuance in terms of what it can be. Okay. And, and, that and yeah, and I think one it's important to, to remember here, and this is where, you know, you, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you, we're almost making stew here and we're not <laughs> more like sausage, I think. Yeah, maybe. right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know what's in there. <laughs> and see, because... You know, the common thing you hear, and, and again, let's talk about the patients because they're the most important. Somebody walks into their pharmacy and all they really care about is is the bill that's handed to them by the pharmacist, whether it's, and they, and quite honestly, most of them really don't give a, you know, what about how they get to that bill. They just don't like getting the bill. Yeah. And so I think what we're finding out from this discussion is that that pharmacist in no way, he doesn't. You know, he's just doing what he's told. Yeah. And these drugs and the laws 
that regard them. It's, it's almost like going from, uh, okay, I live in I live in California. Amber lives in Oklahoma. Scott, you're in New York. Okay, we've got three different states with three different sets of laws. So if if New York's capped at 35 and Oklahoma's at 35, and it may not be the same 35 bucks. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, it is, it is one of those, uh, what do they call it? A Rube Goldberg machine that comes up with these pricing. Have you at all looked at kind of like, do you track trends like at all? I mean, have, have you noticed, you know, because I, I think another thing maybe our, our listeners need to understand is that an employer actually will pay less premium dollars for the higher deductible. Yeah. In many cases, it depends on which PBM formulary they choose. And this gets into one of what I think is son of a backdoor into the system, which is PBM powered coupons, which if you're a patient and you're still satisfying a deductible, what I would tell you is number one, if your pharmacy benefit of your insurance plan pays for no drugs until you satisfy that deductible, do not pay the cash list price and use your insurance to pay for it. In most cases, most cases, there are a couple of exceptions and I can get into those. But the reason is because as the patient, you're only getting credit applied towards any deductible that you have to satisfy for the deeply discounted price that your insurance company is paying for those drugs. So using insulin as the example, if you're paying 200 and 25 bucks for it, or let's say a hundred for make it easy, right? If you're paying a hundred bucks for a vial of insulin, you're only getting $24 credit applied to your insurance for that, even though you're, you're laying out a hundred bucks for it. So the workaround is you may be able to buy those drugs at less cost during your deductible satisfaction phase by using a coupon powered by a pharmacy benefit manager. And there are a bunch of them out there and they grow grow all the time. This is a great point that you're making here. This would be those, there's a lot of companies now that are building, you know, GoodRx is one I can think of right off the top of my head or what's the other one um, with Martin Schwartz as a spokesman. I don't remember the name. Oh yeah, Uh, Single Care is his. And basically they're they're taking advantage of in, in inefficiencies in the system. Right. And so yes, it, it is it is it is quite possible and even likely that a patient using who's part of that app or whatever you want to call it and does will will find it's cheaper to use the app than use their own insurance. That's right. And the other thing that's kind of weird about it is let's say your insurance company for argument's sake is Cigna. And your pharmacy benefits are provided by Express Scripts, which is owned by Cigna. You can actually buy, instead of using your insurance card, your Cigna card to pay for that drug, you can actually use a coupon. And InsiderX is owned by Express Scripts and buy the drug on InsiderX's one of its formularies. Buy it that way. Use the discount. No, it does not apply to your towards your deductible, but Keep in mind, you're not getting the amount that you're actually spending on the drug applied to your deductible. You're only getting a deeply discounted portion of that price, and they don't tell you what that what that is. So you you're left in the dark there because there's not a lot of disclosure rules about how much of each drug purchase is applied towards your deductible. But the odds are very good. 
Do you think we'll ever see transparency with that? Because the fact that we're paying into this crap, it should be 100% transparent. It should be. You're not going to buy a car if you don't know that X, Y, and Z is what you paid for. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. healthcare system, it's not just drugs that are like this. If your doctor says you need an x-ray and he'll probably write you a requisition form and you'll go to your nearby lab, you know, and, and schedule an appointment. That's the extent of it. But you don't actually know the price of the services you're receiving. And it's very hard to get anybody to tell you what the price actually is because they'll say, well, it depends on your insurance and this, that, and the other thing. The reality is Throughout the U.S. healthcare system, because there are so many fingers in the pot, proverbial pot involved, you don't actually know. You can't actually get a price if you, even if you wanted to. I think GoodRx is a good example of a company that is bringing some transparency to what was previously a very clouded and hidden market that nobody was allowed to know. Well, the, the, only, the only transparency rule that's changed over the years, and again, this isn't what I would call complete transparency, is PBMs are now required on their balance sheets to say how much came in from rebates. Now, they do not. Now, I know, I just know for a fact that insulin is the most heavily rebated drug out there. It's kind of a given. But we don't really know, like, for example, we don't really know how much money a, a company like Express Scripts is actually getting from Lily that's related to insulin. No. And, you know, so I agree with Amber. I think there should be 100% transparency here. Problem being is, and this is the argument you get from all the companies, is they don't want to disclose this for, quote, unquote, competitive reasons. Yeah, it's a trade secret. <laughs> yeah. And, so, you know, this is the other thing. When I when we talk about pharma, I think this is kind of an interesting dynamic that's going on because pharma sets the bogus list price and then they say we're going to rebid it all back on the back end. But the starting point of the price starts with the drug company. They're the ones that set that and they're the ones that determine how much they're going to give back to the PBM in the form of rebate discounts. And I think... The insurance company has another weird thing here. The insurance companies are getting all this $187 billion in rebate dollars, and they're not following generally accepted accounting principles. They're instead misclassifying that money thanks to, I think it was like a 1992 decision by the National Insurance Association Commission of America or something like that. They basically said, we're not going to follow generally accepted counting principles. And so most of them included in the general catch-all line item of their financials as general revenue. So how is an auditor supposed to follow the money when they can't, you know, it's not even an, a line item in their financial statement? I want to be a part of this racket. If I could just <laughs> charge whatever I want, I do whatever accounting I want, because who the hell is going to follow it? And can, I mean, like, how is this? I mean, how are they still allowed to do this? Let's wrap it this way. Yeah. Scott, if you were... Um, I need a whiskey after this conversation. <laughs> if you were advising just, you know, so any patient, diabetes or not, Yep. I mean, because there's a lot of options out there. Okay. You know, yeah. I don't want to assign blame to anybody. You know, we all, you know, we all know it's kind of a screwed up system. This is what we got. Yeah. But there are, there are avenues, you know. That's right. And so, other than like these apps that we see, the GoodRx, the whatever the other one is, you know, and there's a bunch of these. 
Yeah. What options does a patient have where they can go and say, okay, all I really give it about is what comes out of my pocket. I don't care how yeah. price is determined. I want to pay the lowest price possible. Okay. Well, let me give you a perfect example. My own. I think that this goes on. Like 82 million other Americans, my doctor prescribes a statin for me to manage elevated LDL or bad cholesterol. Now, when statin drugs first came out a couple of years ago, I used Pfizer's Lipitor for a while, but I got some muscle aches and I asked the doctor about it and I was switched to what was then AstraZeneca's Crestor, which is rosuvastatin calcium. And I didn't have adverse effects with that. That drug went generic in 2016. My previous insurance, which was Cigna, covered that as a preventative benefit and I was paid nothing out of pocket for it. They paid for it. But when I switched to Aetna, they decided we're not going to cover that pre-deductible. Patient's responsible for it. And they, for a 90-day supply, Caremark, which is CVS Health PBM, decided the price that I was going to pay was $33.84 for a 90-day supply. I instinctively knew I was being taken advantage of because that's a cost of about 38 cents a tablet. So I told them up and I said, don't auto refill this anymore. I'm going to get it elsewhere. I know I can do better. I then searched five or six of the different coupon generating apps. And lo and behold, I discovered I could buy it with, I bought it from Express Scripts mail order pharmacy. Now remember, Caremark is my PBM. I bought it from Express Scripts, $15. That's a 56% savings just by bypassing my own insurance. And they were only giving me $450 applied towards my deductible of the $33 I was spending. So this was a perfect example. I decided and I shopped around five or six different coupon generating apps, lowest price one. I took it to a competing PBM, bought it from their mail order pharmacy, got it mailed to my house just as I was with Caremark, but I saved 56%. And I love that you're smart enough to do that. Let me just say, no offense to the average yeah. person listening yeah. to this, your skill set is very different. You knew exactly what to do, where to go, and how to do it. Yeah. That is, and for a lot of people, because I went in times I've dealt with insurance, and I'm not, I mean, this is just a fact as I'm shopping right now. It's a, it could be a full time job just trying to figure out what's going to be the best option. It is. And on prescriptions, the general piece of advice I tell people, particularly if you have a high deductible that doesn't cover any prescriptions until you've satisfied it, is except for brand new drugs, newly introduced drugs, where chances are the only discounts you're going to get on them are direct from manufacturer coupons. Right. But if it's generics, like, you know, rosuvastatin calcium went generic in 2016. It's a generic made in India for pennies on the dollar. I knew I could get it cheaper, but I tell them really, especially on th prices like generics, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of variability in prices on generics, even, even among insurance companies. Sanity check it. Does it sound like you're being ripped off? Then you might want to search five or six of these coupon generating apps and see if you can get a better deal. I think the lesson here is, you know, you're right. It is a little bit of work, but again, we are making a trade-off here. And I think the advice that I've always given patients is I said, listen, if you think that drug is too much money, we have something called the internet. It's not, yes, it will require some work, but heck, these people are spending time on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and 
what's the other one? TikTok or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, doing those crazy dances. So if you want to save some money, it's going to require you a little bit of work. You know, Scott, you, you've been great. Uh, maybe we'll have you back on and, and you know, have you answer some uh, questions directly from listeners. Yeah. I think I'd like to give you the list of the, the coupon generating apps that I searched from. Yes. Yes. That would be because great. Because there's only like six or seven of them. But Perfect. if you search each of them, chances are you're probably going to find a better price, except if it's a brand new, still patent protected drug. There's right. a special rule for new drugs. That's a different animal. <laughs> I have one last one last question to this. Just really yeah. quick, sorry, Dave, is that when we're talking about all the the seven companies that you're mentioning that where we can get a discounted drug, is insulin included in all of those? Yes, as of 2019, there are. Okay. I won't say all insulins, but there are several. In 2019, Lilly was the one that introduced, I think it was like, they called it a half price generic at the time. Right. They launched it. In reality, patients quickly discovered they could get it for 75% off with a good RX coupon. And so you can buy Lilly Insulin List Pro. And I think the price is like $48 and some change per vial, which is pretty good. I bought some in Canada when I went there in around Thanksgiving time, and I paid, I think, $32. That was Canadian. So it's a little cheaper, but not horribly <laughs> so. Lily and Nova Nordisk both offer their authorized generics, and so do some of the biosimilars. So for example, Lantus, the biosimilar of that from Biocon and uh, what's their, Viatris for the time being anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they also have a branded and an unbranded version of that product. So you can buy Semgly or you can buy Biocon insulin glargine. Exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're exactly the same thing. They just have a different NDC number which basically allows them to sell one at a higher price to PBMs and another at a lower price to pharmacies. So those are three that you can get with coupons. You do need to shop around because, for example, Semgly right now, GoodRx isn't offering the best deal on it. Express Scripts inside RX is the is the one to... And, and I think, I think again, I think you know, a good way to wrap this is Hey, it's going to require a little bit of work, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's worth it. So, Scott, you were great. Thank you, Scott. Thank you.